This morning, we're continuing our series of sermons through the book of Revelation. And our passage this morning, Revelation chapter 17, is very hard to listen to. For one thing, it's so dang complicated. This beast and seven heads and ten horns and there's kings and there's some who were and are not and will be and there's these mountains. It's very confusing and it is difficult to understand but I think what makes it difficult for us is something else. I, I think the most difficult thing about this chapter is the way that it's so utterly violates our modern sensibilities. It begins with a prostitute being judged. I mean, listen again to verse 1. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the land have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the land dwellers have become drunk. And then in verses 3 to 6, we're given this gross caricature of her and then finally the chapter ends with her being hated, stripped, devoured, and burned, turned into a human sacrifice. All those words are the words used with animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. Now this is hard for us. It's hard for us to listen to because we are just now, as a society, coming to grips with the terrible double standard that that jokes and winks about a man who sleeps around. But when a woman sleeps around, she's a slut or a whore. And these words are ways of, of making women the lowest of the low. It's a complete disdain for the person. It communicates that this person is really, really bad and wicked. And since a prostitute is a person who sleeps around, these awful words get associated with them. And it's only just now dawning on a whole bunch of people in our society that prostitution is way more complicated than these kind of words can lead us to believe. For example, when I was growing up, I never thought about why someone became a prostitute. It didn't occur to me that little boys and little girls don't grow up dreaming about and wanting to be prostitutes. I I didn't think about the forces and the realities that can overwhelm a person, the economic destitution and desperation that can tempt someone into prostitution. I didn't know anything growing up about human trafficking, about the vans with blackened windows carrying women who've been forced into prostitution up I-81 and lured with the false promise of a better life. And, and these women, they arrive here knowing no one but their captors, possessing nothing except what little they're given, beaten, threatened, raped, sent out into the streets. These are the new slaves we're being taught frightened, shocked, horribly abused, with physical bruises that are only a pale indication of the mental and emotional bruising that is building up inside of them. And as a society, we're beginning to recognize these social forces that can cause someone to have no other option in their imagination 
They're so alienated from family and life, and maybe they're addicted or under the thumb of some harsh, brutal, violent person. And so we are rightfully bothered by the injustice of comfortable Western moralists waving well-dressed hands at such riffraff and ignoring or even colluding with the social realities that push the majority of such people to such a position. And so we listen to this, and it is very difficult. It's hard to read Revelation 17 without thinking of our society's own double standard and assuming that it's in the background, and that here we are with a 2,000-year-old text perpetuating the same kind of radical patriarchy, the gross double standard that we're living with in our own society. But that's not the case with Revelation 17. That's us reading our own demons from our own moment in time back into another moment in time. You see, Scripture is not nearly so naive as Aubrey Spears. It's not nearly as insensitive as Victorian England, to the brutal injustices against the powerless that some of us are just now recognizing. The early church, the church that received this letter, the church that inspired by God wrote this letter, they were far more aware of human trafficking than any of us are. The early church was exposed on a daily basis within their gatherings. The majority of the people were slaves. They knew knew the reality that we are just now coming to grips with. Rome was a slave society. It organized its life around one of history's most extensive and complex systems of slavery. Sprawling across 500 years and three continents, Rome trafficked in tens of millions of slaves. Slaves were everywhere. And a slave does not own his body. And whether it's ancient Rome or the U.S. South, The sexual abuse of slaves is one of the most persistent cross-cultural features of slave systems. And so sexual exploitation was ingrained in the whole social fabric of the Roman Empire when the book of Revelation was written. And yet, and yet, then, as now, there are different prostitutes than that. Then, as now, there are prostitutes of a different kind than the kind I've spent these last few minutes describing. Then, as now, there are young men and women who are not being forced to sell themselves, 
have no need to sell themselves, but who have discovered that it's a quick way to make a, quite a lot of money and that if you play your cards right, you can maintain a high social status with fancy clothes and glittering jewels and the finest pearls. And throughout history, there have been some who have lived very well in the world's eyes. By this means, they have maintained a discreet clientele among the rich and famous in a business and pleasure arrangement of mutual satisfaction. And we must not let our growing awareness of exploitation diminish the reality of a very wicked sin. This mutual Satisfaction, which we see in Revelation 17, is also a mutual destruction. That's what's really going on in this chapter. This prostitute in Revelation 17, from her judgment to her destruction, it is false to think that the author is naive to abuse and is joining in with a kind of cozy good old boy double standard. To understand this passage of scripture, remember they knew the dark realities of human trafficking more than we do. And this use of the prostitute metaphor is not about that. Remember, the Jewish and Christian belief about sex is rooted in the goodness and God-givenness of the created order. That God made this world with a built-in order, a grain. A way it's supposed to be experienced. And that men and women are called either to celibacy or to married faithfulness. And this is one of the central themes within God the Creator's purposes for the whole world. You see, the Bible starts in a marriage, in a garden, and it ends with a marriage in the garden. This is the frame of the whole Bible. This is serious business. This is fundamental to reality in the Bible. And that's why, of course, the final great image of the book of Revelation is the marriage of the lamb and his bride in a garden city. And we'll see that in a few weeks. And so here in Revelation 17, the rich prostitute who's in it of her own volition can dress up fine and put on a great show. And she holds out this amazing goblet. She's inviting you to a rich banquet. But look closely. And it's a lie. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Holding in her hand a golden cup. So attractive. Full of abominations. And the impurities of her sexual immorality. Look carefully into her wine glass and you'll see that it is filled with piss and dung and blood. And I'm sorry about the nasty words, but perhaps I should have used nastier ones. Because that phrase, abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality, is grosser and crasser than that. It's just a nice southern genteel translation we have that doesn't catch quite the full force of what's actually in her cup. The whole point is that the outward appearance of this prostitute is magnificent, but the inner reality is gross and disgusting and stomach-churning. 
Now, who is this prostitute? It's Jerusalem. That's why it says at the end of verse 6, when I saw her, I marveled greatly. Mom, is that you? First of all, notice where we find her. Verse 3, he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman. In the book of Revelation, what was the last woman in a wilderness? It was Israel. It was Jerusalem in chapter 12. And he goes on to describe the prostitute. This this is Israel. Notice how she's dressed. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Remember, this is one book. One book. You're supposed to start at the beginning and get to the end. You're supposed to let this book build up its characters. This book build up its own themes. Define its own terms. Fill out its own metaphors. And by the end of this book, if you've started at the beginning, these two colors... Purple and scarlet, gold and jewels and pearls. These are the dominant colors of the curtains in the tabernacle. This is the decorations of the temple. These are the robes of the priest. And in fact, the best known robe with jewels and threads of gold in the Bible is the high priest robe. And this business in verse 5 with stuff written on her forehead, this is a parody of a particular aspect of the headgear of Israel's high priest. And one more critical reason we know that this prostitute is a metaphor for Jerusalem is that all through the Old Testament, God uses prostitution as a metaphor for the sad reality of his people betraying him. Turning away from him. To be in covenant with God and then turn away from him is what this prostitute metaphor um, fills out by the end of the Old Testament. Think of the book of Hosea. And then there's Ezekiel chapter 16 and 23, which you should not read until you're over the drinking age. And it just goes on and on and on. Isaiah 1, on and on and on. When God's people turn away from God, he calls it prostitution. And so when you read the Bible as a single narrative, as one giant sprawling story, and you let the Bible define its own terms, you get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And the last book, it's the last book in the Bible. And by this time, God has already defined this word. He defined it with the book of Hosea. He defined it with Ezekiel 16 and 23 and Isaiah chapter 1. This is a metaphor for when God's people married to God, in covenant with God, have betrayed God and turned away from Him. Now, what do we do with this? How do we read a passage like this and hear something for our own lives today? A couple of things, too. First, something political, and second, something personal. Let's start with the political. Revelation chapter 17 is a massive warning to the church today against compromise. We see here that Jesus is unmasking Jerusalem. She is a bride who is disloyal to her divine husband. Notice who she's riding. It's a double entendre. 
Verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. She's riding the beast. The beast is the Roman Empire. And we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. The point at hand is that Jerusalem's prostitution is a metaphor for the leadership of Israel rejecting Jesus Christ and jumping in bed with the Roman Empire and its massive injustices and its greed and its sexual immorality and its violence. Rome says to Israel, here is luxury beyond your wildest dreams. Come with us. We're the rulers of the world. We're the future of the world. Here all of your fantasies can be fulfilled. You don't have to work hard for them. Finally, you can be respected. Finally, you've lived this minority life. Now you get to join the victorious team. Now you get to be a part of what's really going on in this world. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to organize your life wisely or justly or humanely to achieve this. All you have to do is come with Rome. And Rome will share all of this goodness with you. And yes, there's a price, but you won't mind paying it. After all, you'll get what you most want. You'll be one of the victors. Back in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, over and over, Jesus warned the churches scattered around what we call today Western Turkey. He warned them of this temptation. The temptation to escape from the pressures of persecution. The temptation to stop being so different. Stop having an ethic. Stop having views that are so out of step. You don't have to keep getting picked on. You don't have to keep getting looked down on. You don't have to keep being out of step with the cool kids. You don't have to keep missing out on the business deals. You don't have to keep living in poverty. And over and over, Jesus warns them about that temptation to compromise your way out of suffering. Just think about how this played out not so long ago in Soviet Russia. When many in the Orthodox Church cozied up with the brutes who ran the gulag. When the Orthodox Church's hierarchy was salted with the KGB. Think about how this played out in Nazi Germany when the Protestant Church prostituted herself to Hitler and his thugs. And then there's the situation in China today where a soft totalitarianism offers certain churches approved status. All they have to do is prostitute themselves for the sake of peace and stand in opposition to Christian brothers and sisters who are being too rigid. And think about our own society today where churches on the left are bowing to the enormous pressure to fit in with the sexual libertinism of our age while churches on the right ride cheerily on the backs of American tanks. Revelation 17 warns us from prostituting ourselves by getting in bed with beastly empires who drink the blood of Christians. We need wisdom and courage. We need to be faithful to our Lord in our politics. And when it comes to cultural issues, we need to hold the line. But there's something else going on here. We must not overlook the anger that compromised churches pour out on faithful people. Do you see what's in the prostitute's cup? 
Verse 5, it says, it is full of abominations. And verse 6 tells us what those abominations are. It is the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When the book of Revelation was written, Jerusalem, Israel, was at war with Christians. And this attack on the church is the abomination that desolates. This is what was the final straw. The turn against the faithful. This is the sacrilege that seals Jerusalem's fate. At the time Revelation was written in the early 60s of the first century, Jerusalem was just a few short years away from the Roman army doing exactly what verse 16 says. Making Jerusalem desolate, naked, devouring her flesh and burning her with fire. And we know this is exactly what Rome did in AD 70. Rome raised Jerusalem to the ground. Will we as a church... Will the church in America refuse to compromise? Because you see, if we do compromise, we will eventually turn against God's people. And when we do that, it, it, it will be a desolation. It will lead to our own destruction. All right, so there's a political kind of way to look through this chapter and think about our lives and our world today. But there's also a personal thing going on here. Remember that over and over in the Gospels, Jesus begged Jerusalem to repent. He warned her, her that this destruction was in her future if she did not repent and return to God. So not only do we need to hear a warning against being a prostituted church. We need to hear an invitation here to our own selves. Have you been tempted away from Jesus? This whole book, the book of Revelation, is about the creator and his creation. And it all culminates... In chapters 21 and 22, with the coming together of the lamb and the bride, the husband and the wife, in loyal and loving faithfulness. And the prostitute in Revelation 17 is a parody of the true bride. She offers a cup. So does Jesus. He offers a cup. Both contain blood. Her cup is your own destruction. It's your blood. Eat yourself alive. That's what happens with her. He offers his blood. His blood. The blood of the martyr. The blood of the first and true witness, Jesus Christ. Whose cup are you drinking from? Whose invitation have you accepted? Whose beauty has entranced you? Don't betray Jesus. And if you are betraying him, if you are not being loyal to him, please repent. Are you compromising with the world? With sin? It is so easy to wake up with the beast. It is so easy to get there. But no matter how you got there, if you are there, repent. 
In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus says to you, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place, unless you repent. This is a symbolic way of saying that when you obstinately stay disloyal to Jesus, you are committing yourself to the path of judgment. But oh, think about who it is that is inviting you back. It's Jesus. Your creator. Your redeemer. For you, he went through everything in verse 16. He was hated. He was stripped. He was burned up and crucified. In our Old Testament reading Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 16 through chapter 5, verse 1, we learn how to accept our Creator and Redeemer's invitation. Listen to His words. Let my beloved come to His garden and eat its choice fruits. Will you say this to Jesus? Will you turn? And will you say to Him, here is my whole life. Here's all the ways I've been compromising. Here's all the parts of my life that I've been feasting on an easy feast. Here's all of my disloyalties. Here's my whole life. And if you do, he'll take it. That's the next verse. I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Offer your life to Jesus. No matter what mistakes you've made. No matter how vile and disgusting. No matter how stomach-churning. No matter what sins you've committed, he'll have you. That's what we read in Hosea. He'll buy you back. He'll accept you. He'll receive you. You see, the last verse of Song of Song that we read, chapter 5, verse 1. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. He's not asking you to come back into some hardcore, like, you're in the corner. He's asking you to come back to a party where you will get drunk on love. He's offering you life. He's offering you a feast. He loves you. Repent and return. Let's pray.